Nick Ryans is a former United States Marine. He's an urban warfare specialist, a shooting instructor, and an infantry platoon sergeant. He also worked executive protection bodyguarding for A-list celebrities in Hollywood. Nick had a successful business in the fitness industry, which enabled him to buy a massive property in Mexico, in New Mexico, in the middle of nowhere. He set up a tactical school over there, which is where I had the pleasure of uh, teaching a couple of months ago in the United States. It's where I originally met Nick. And uh, on this property, he offers uh, tactical courses on pistols, on rifles, precision shooting, urban warfare. Um, and this training is offered to everybody. A lot of uh, soldiers and police officers come, but 80% of the people who come to these programs are civilians. We had an interesting conversation. We spoke about the differences between serving in the Israeli military and the United States military. We spoke about the programs that he runs on the courses and how they go. I hope you enjoy this one. Evil thrives when good men and women do nothing, when they fail to make a stand. This podcast is about giving you the tools and the information to make that stand. I'm Ron Engelman, Master Sergeant, Krav Maga Black Belt, IDF combat veteran, proud Jew, and grandson to Holocaust survivors. This is the Ron Engelman Podcast. Shocker. That's why uh, us sitting in the pool was, was nice at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, man, but, but people got through it. We did. So uh, so if you join, um, Nick runs uh, Ghost Ring uh, Tactical, which is uh, um, uh, it's a school pretty much that, that offers uh, tactical uh, training for you guys. I'm sure we'll go much more into detail later, but you guys get a lot of veterans and police officers uh, down there and civilians who want to upskill themselves. I, I putting it uh, forward correctly, more or less. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're a 450 acre tactical training facility. That's usually what like when people ask me, that's usually kind of how I throw it out there. Um, yeah. I mean, we mainly train, I would say, Eighty uh, percent of our the people that we train are civilians, uh, and then the rest would be your law enforcement. Um, we picked up some military contracts uh, this year, so we're actually going to be training some of the uh, special forces out here uh, this year. Um, so yeah, but I would say most of our most of our training is geared toward uh, your everyday you know civilian out here that that owns firearms. Yep. Okay. And what what sort of training do you guys do with the civilians? You have different programs, different courses. Right. So, uh, we run, um, four courses is our, is like our primary courses right now. So we have like an urban tactics course, which is, um, all pistol and it's all from concealed. So it's mainly geared, uh, to civilians that carry concealed, you know, on a daily basis. And, uh, those students looking to expand on their, their training. Um, because honestly here in the States, uh, the training that you go through to get your concealed weapons license is, is garbage. It's garbage. Mm. Um, I mean, it's like a 25 shot qual, uh, and all you have to do is like hit like a paper target with 25. It's like, <laughs> if you carry a gun on you every day, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, you should have better training than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we really gear that to. Um, is, you know, for, for a lot of these people, they've never even drawn their pistol from concealment. And it's like, really, I'm like, it's the, to get your license, they never even require you to draw from concealment. They don't cover how to clear garments. They just don't cover that kind of stuff. Um, so I saw a, a huge gap, you know, in, in that market where, 
I think, you know, if you, again, if you carry a gun every day, you should be a lot more trained than what the state standards uh, require out here. Yeah. So yeah, we cover um, uh, again, lots of, lots of drawing from concealment. We cover um, vehicle engagements. Uh, so shooting from inside a vehicle, shooting around a vehicle, shooting under a vehicle. Um, we cover some CQB stuff, some building clearing. Um, we do a full day of medical in that one as well. Um, that's pretty fun. So, that's the one we, we got to play around the car. You, you guys have a yep. car on site where you get just the windscreens on top of it and people just have some fun shooting through, um, through glass to see what, what that does. Yeah. 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 I mean, cause a lot of people, I mean, you, you can't really do that at home, uh, <laughs> for most of us. My so. wife wouldn't be, be very happy with me if I did that. Uh, so being able to just feel that concussion inside of a vehicle that you may not expect, uh, you know, the, the, the glass shards coming back at you and that sort of thing. Uh, it's an eye opener for a lot of students in case they did have to get into engagement inside of a vehicle and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the medical is a big portion of that class as well. Um, purely um, like, like I tell students it's like I've used my medical skills way more than I've ever used my gunfighting skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we have students go down out here, you know, all the time. We, we, we've seen, you know, broken legs, uh, dislocated fingers, um, low blood sugar, guys not bringing their insulin, um, gunshot wounds. We've had it. We've had it out here. Um, what else? I mean, we've seen it all. Um, guys passing out. Uh, guys almost having a heart attack. Where we, have, we almost had to bring up the AED uh, to... to <laughs> possibly bring them back to life. So um, that kind of stuff, like we tell people, it's like that, that you're going to see that a lot more often than you are going to see, you know, you use your gunfighting skills. So, so that's, that's a huge portion of that class as well. Mm. So, yeah, so that's, that's one of the classes. That's one of the classes we offer. Um, we've got our precision rifle co uh, course out here as well. Um, you know, my buddy, that's a former scout sniper. Uh, he teaches that one. So anybody that's interested in shooting long distance, that's, that's not my game. So yeah, well, don't talk to me about that kind of stuff. I tell people, I'm like, hey, I, I help out with the class, but that's not that's not my thing. I let that I let my scout sniper buddies deal with that. Um, but yeah, we get a lot of people out that want to learn, um, you know, how to shoot long distance and that sort of thing. So we've got um, our range out here shoots from a hundred out to a thousand, and then we're looking at putting up a target that's about a mile out as well. Um, that's going to happen for this year. Uh, we've got a location for it. We just got to get the target up. So we got that. Uh, we've got our our four day tactical camp. That's like that's the that's the class we actually started with was our tactical class because that's kind of a mix of everything. You got you know a pistol day, you've got a rifle day, um, you've got some hand to hand stuff uh, in that class. Uh, we don't do medical in that one anymore. We kind of moved that all the way to moved all that to urban. Yeah. yeah, that's actually how how we made up with the. So you you have some. Uh, uh, Hand-to-hand -hand instructors, uh, some Krav Maga instructors on site. Scott, uh, who's who's uh, who I met a couple of years ago, and since has become a friend, is one of the one of the coaches uh, um, over there on on Ghost Ring, and um, that's great. I I I always think that if you're carrying a firearm, the last thing you want to do is be the one who supplied a firearm to the scene of a shooting. Um, and if you can't fight in order to maintain, to be able to uh, stop somebody taking your gun off of you, or even have tools 
that you don't have to go instantly lethal. Like I, I, I can't imagine, you know, carrying a firearm yeah. without having the skills to be able to retain it, and also having the skills to be able to deal with with threats without having to shoot people. Having that as an as an option. So I'm very, very yeah. happy that that organizations like yourself offer that. I think it's yeah. And that's another thing we cover too. Like, like I said, with the medical stuff, uh, when we, when we talk about the combative stuff, I tell people, it's like, I've used my combative skills again, way more than I've used my gunfighting skills. So it's like, you, you, we always harp on people that when they come out to see us, it's like, yeah, we give them, you know, four days, you know, breaking it down, maybe 15 hours, you know, uh, of combative skills. It's not enough. It's not enough. And we tell them that too. It's like, you've got to, you know, once, once they leave us, we tell them, Hey, go back to your local town, whatever, wherever you're from, um, look up local martial arts studios. And we tell them, Hey, let us know what you have. Send us the links to the schools you have. And we'll tell you, Hey, I would try that one out. Or, Hey, I would stay away from that one. Cause again, it's not enough. It's not enough. And we tell them it's like, at least minimum, we tell them a minimum train like once a week, you know, at a, you know, training studio, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, how did you get into all of it? I know that uh, we spoke about it briefly when I was there on on the ranch. Um, your your background. You, so you joined the Marines. How, how old were you? I joined the Marines straight out of uh, high school. So I actually signed up for the Marines while I was still in high school. Mm. Um, I was a little bit of a, a rambunctious kid, I guess. A little, a little, yeah. So so my parents gave me the option uh, to either join the Marine Corps. Uh, or be kicked out of my house uh, when I was 18 on my 18th birthday. So mm. <laughs> really didn't have much else place to go. So uh, the the Marine Corps was 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 where I went. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, joined the Marine Corps straight out of high school. Um, lived in so I grew up in in Chicago, Illinois, and so they shipped me out to uh, California for boot camp out there. I uh, really enjoyed boot camp. Boot camp was good. Uh, graduated a squad leader out of boot camp. So, how, how long uh, is how long is the boot camp for the Marine Corps? Uh, Thirteen weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and then squad leader wise, that's like you're one of the top four to five guys like in your in your platoon because you're in charge of people. So, so that was fun. That was actually my that was really my first experience of being put into a leadership role. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed being, being in charge of people, uh, being able to lead my guys. It, it was, it was, it was something that I've, I've never been able to experience before and, and something I really liked, which I've, you know, continued growing that, you know, ever since. So, um, so yeah, so yeah, I got out of boot camp 13 weeks with that. After that, they send us to a uh, school of infantry. Um, that is shit. I I'm guessing here. I can't remember how long that one is. I think four weeks, six weeks, something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's more the school that is designed to teach you all of the infantry stuff. So your your rifleman skills, your um, you know shooting machine guns, uh, shooting uh, rocket launchers, throwing grenades, that that kind of thing. So that it really dials down into specifics uh, of you know war fighting because. Most Marines, I mean, again, a lot of Marines don't don't go to infantry. A lot of them are cooks, uh, mechanics, you know, admin. They don't go to the school of infantry. Uh, they go to a different school 
uh, that just teaches them basic like rifleman skills. It's, yeah. it's, it's funny. Yeah. These people don't realize that, you know, in every military, the proportion of war fighters is a very, very small select uh, yeah. few. And even in there, you've got artillery, you've got tanks, you've got, you've got so many different, you know, special and, even there, you've got different levels of like the the combat mechanics and things like that, where they're not actually doing the war fighting, but they're there in the front, in the forefront yeah. to help uh, maintain every everything. So there's so many levels to these things. But what I, I find is so different between the Israeli military and my American friends and my Australian friends um, is that in Israel, um, service is compulsory. The men do three years. The the women do two years, and then after that, you, you the men uh, continue on reserves. Not everybody, but uh, right. But especially the war fighters, they they go on reserves. Some people, you know, like my friends who were, um, you know, working in you know a warehouse for computer stuff for the Air Force armies. Like okay, yeah. After three years, you we're good. You're you know? good. No. What do you <laughs> think good, about that? Don't. So, yeah. so how do, how do you, how do you think it helps with your society? Cause I don't know, man, I think, I think that would, for me, I think it might do good for here. Look, um, it definitely did a lot of good for me. Also, I okay. was, I was, I was a pretty wild kid. Like, um, I, I, I was already I already got kicked out of high school when I was about seventeen and stuff. That was <laughs> you probably you worse than me, sir. <laughs> that was that was that was probably the the sec no that was the second high school. I got kicked out of two high schools. One I left. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, when I was seventeen, it, like that was that was it. That was probably like I think seventeen and a half. I, I made it to eleventh grade. I think I don't think I did twelve years a while ago. Okay. So. But yeah, I I understood it wasn't wasn't for wasn't really for me. I was always like, I was bored. To be frank, frankly, I, two things: I was bored in school, and I had a lot of shit going on at home. And okay. the last thing that I could that I was concerned about, like you know, when you're in survival mode, um, your grades are the last thing you you worry about. And yeah. but one thing that kind of helped me stay focused was I always do no, no matter, you know, you know, how I was, I was smoking and, and, and drinking a lot of out drinking a lot already, you know, when I was 15, 16 and, but, and I was hanging out with all sorts of crowds, but one thing always kept me focused. Even there, I always knew that I was going to, that I, I was, that I wanted to serve in the Navy SEALs and okay. I didn't ultimately get into the Navy SEALs, but, but, but it was something that, that, helped me stay focused and like i knew that okay i'm having fun now and i'm doing you know whatever but i know that i need to straighten my act and and i found when i when i got into into my unit and when i got into the military i found that that it really yeah it really helped me um i it was it was good it was a good fit i still had trouble with authority always will yeah. um that was that was a bit hard for me like if i had commanders with some commanders at butt he at butt heads because also it's naturally also with leadership so yeah. sometimes it would be a challenge to authority if you had somebody if you had a commander who had relatively weak leadership and you know they're uh, at, at butt heads sometimes because also i have this very clear vision of of the way you know of things and also of like what's right and it's an in 
I know it's <laughs> it's funny to say this in this term, but like injustice bothers me, especially in the military. And I know it's not, uh, okay. you know, it's been shit, shit on, not in terms of like a social justice warrior <laughs> yeah. and stuff, but you know, when 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 you know somebody's getting punished or being done wrong by. I'd stand up for my friends and I'd stand up okay. for things and that didn't make me very yeah. popular with some of the some of the people. But yeah, it really helped me. And then like it really sorted me out. And I, I guess so your question was how does it help like with society? Yeah, as 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 a society in general. So oh, have you seen good or bad with, with what it's so done? De- definitely yeah. good. Definitely good and goes both ways. We have a saying in, in Hebrew, it kind of roughly translates that the, the military makes the nation and the nation makes the military. It kind of mm. goes goes both ways. Like the especially when it's when it's uh, compulsory. So I was recently renewing uh some of my first aid qualifications and saying, like in Israel, we have the highest um the highest level of per capita of of uh, medics and people who know how to mm. do first aid and paramedics and stuff because everybody's you know served now now this is an interesting one i think it's quite different from the marines and it's, it's yeah. certainly different different from from australia because military service is compulsory everybody needs to be able to serve now what i mean by that is in australia it's actually quite hard to get into the military um it's okay. very demanded many people want to go they pay very well um, and it's it's a really good job. If you get in, you're you're, you're set in a good way, hmm. um, and it's very competitive. So a lot of people want to get in, and they can't, or they have to wait like one two years until until spots open up. Like it's really hard to get in. And then when you do your boot camp, you have a certain level of training. Now, again, f- I, I know just f- from culturally, when you're a marine, you're marine. First and foremost, you've gone through the boot camp. Might not be a warfighter, but you've you've gotten a certain level of discipline. Of yeah, I, I'm sure from the inside it looks it's different. I'm sure from the inside, yes, it's different. yeah. But looking yeah. from the outside, you know, a marine is a marine for life, and yeah, we have everybody serving. So you know, not everybody can do infantry, or not even infantry. Not everybody can do like a full, let's say. A marine boot camp, a six weeks. So, uh, you know, if you're a warfighter, if you're an infantry, we go through very intense training. But yeah, you know, I, I had friends who were going to serve as, um, like you said, one of my best friends. He served as in a warehouse for computer equipment for the Air Force. His boot camp was, I think, at the time, it was he did two weeks boot camp. He literally shot okay. f- five rounds. That yeah. was the only time he'd ever seen a weapon in his military service. They gave him a web. They gave him, uh, I think it was Uzis back then. This was, this was in, like nobody was using yeah. Uzis. But nice. This was back in like 1999. Um, okay. So like it was just something to let them. Okay, you've shot five. You've seen, you know what a rifle looks like. You've okay. Seen something. Yeah. You've, now yeah. you're never going to see it again. Maybe two Krav Maga lessons, and um, yeah. and that's it. And then we call them. Mm. Uh, we call the it's a derogatory derogatory term that combat soldiers have for non-combat soldiers we call them jobnikim it's kind of like a russian acronym of job like they have a job they they they, yeah. they, do, they do the army nine to five and because these are all so small right they might be they, they might be in tel aviv or you know in some other yeah. major city where the base is they'll go they'll do the data entry or whatever they do for the army nine to five and then they go back home to mommy and because they're living with mom and dad because yeah. it's it's such a small it's such a small country. So 
and we have, we have derogatory terms as well for for ours yeah. are pogues. So pogues, yeah, pogues. Okay. Yeah. Person so, other than grunts. Yeah. That's what but this stands for. Yeah. I'll go as far as saying we even have a unit <clears throat> and a volunteered um, on a civilian base with with uh, with uh, I call them kids, but they're eighteen year olds um, who have um, Down syndrome or who have oh, really. Uh, different and uh yeah we we send them to the front lines in front of the in front of the special forces they don't no not really <laughs> i was gonna say stop it <laughs> no, no, no that's a bit dark no but so uh, but but seriously we do and okay. um and uh because ev everybody that's part of it's being part of society they don't want hmm. to to be, we don't want them to ex to exclude them. So uh, you know they'll do stuff like help fold uniforms, you know, like twice a week, we, and they'll have somebody like s helping them just so that they can they can be a part of society like everybody yeah. else. So that's a very big part of the military on the one hand, and so, but on the other hand, in the even in the units, the people who are serving come from all walks of life because everybody has to go. So it's not people who are, you know, well, for better or for worse, people who choose to join the military um, in a place where it's not mandatory, they're, they're um, pre, I don't know if pre-inclined, like they, 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 they fit a certain typecast, let's say. It's a very wide typecast, but, you know, it's yeah. a very certain type of people. <clears throat> the people who would never imagine doing something like this, and there are people who, you know, take it as their duty. Other people do it as a job, but, but, but it fits in in the in in the army i'm serving with all sorts like you meet people from everywhere you meet people who you know whose whose parents are like ceos of like huge companies and they come from a very well and they'll they'll be serving with somebody who's you know whose father is like a janitor at the school or like yeah. anywhere and it's all and that's really good because you get all mixes of life like you don't get people on the left or on the you know just on the left or on the right side of politics it's such a yeah. wide berth and then you know my friends who were with me in full-time service and still in reserves like you know some are ceos some are gardeners some are like it's it's all over the place and i think that it makes a very good you know, it makes a very, very good thing. You know, people who generally, you know, their whole career would be to, you know, straight from uni, from, from high school, straight into Harvard in the U.S. and on go and the military misses out on, on people yeah. with those skill sets. They'll be serving, too. And, hmm. and more often than not, people who are of good values and good intelligence, then they're going to want to do something meaningful with their time. Like if I'm already going to do three years, then I might as well give it somewhere where where it's of value so that's yeah and and then it comes you know to the culture very much the the organization culture the the even the work culture everybody served so it's so everybody's it's seen that military place. type yeah that military type structure so they can kind of relate that into what they do next uh interesting yeah and 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 one last thing which is also very different is that look um we have only now, like maybe 20 years later, the Israeli army is starting to understand that there's this thing called PTSD and, and soldiers. Mm -hmm. uh, but with that being said, um, after you serve and you go out, like your friends have served, 
your brothers have served, your dad has served, my mom, you know, your mom has served, like, you're not alone. Like, people have been yeah. through, we fought plenty of wars, plenty of operations, and you're, like, it's it's part of the community. And that's something that I found very much with my Australian friends and the American friends, too. It's sometimes it can be very lonely when you come out of a service, out of, out of the service, if, like, people don't get what you've been, and I'm not even talking about war. Like, yes, certainly the people have been to war, but even the camaraderie and, and like what you've been yeah. through, it's it, it can be very lonely. And it, it's not like that in Israel because, again, everybody's served. Everybody's been doing it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So when, when you guys, uh, do you guys have to go in at 18? So is it 18 when, when okay, that's our starts right there. All right. Nice. Yeah. I don't know. I I, 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 th- I think we as a society here in the States, I mean, I don't know. I think we could use something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it would help. I don't I don't know. I don't know what would happen, but I, I know the route that we're going right now. It, it, <laughs> maybe it would help. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. Yeah. I have this theory and we're going a bit off topic, but it, why not? <laughs> because there is no topic. Yeah. Um, so I, I lived for many years in Australia and I'd go to these beautiful places like nature, like it, people living in paradise, wonderful waves, like, and, when you get there, you see the people who are living over there. Um, I love Australia. I love Australians. I am I am Australian as well. I've got Australian citizenship, and my dad like I, I feel Australian, so I'm not yeah. not in any derogatory way. But I, I'm sure a lot of Australians would agree with me. You go to these towns that are like paradise, and first of all, alcoholism is a huge, huge problem in Australia, but especially <laughs> in these you know coastal towns. Um, a lot of problems. The kids have a lot of problems over there with drugs, with with meth, and with like like. Okay. And and it, at the beginning, it just doesn't make sense because it's like you guys are living in paradise. Like you guys have no problems, and everybody like, and especially in the small towns. Okay, now I'm going a little bit too, but you know, as, let's say with some of my friends who are living over there, and like you get into the communities, and you know, people are cheat like everybody's cheating with everybody, and it's like. Now, I don't want to too much like, to, uh, but it's like, you guys have it so beautiful and you're making your own problem. Like, why are you making your own life so difficult with the drugs and with alcohol? Like, and to get over philosophical, uh, what I think people are lacking when things are too easy, it's from a lack of meaning. Like, hmm. if we don't have a meaning, to borrow from Viktor Frankl's book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, who's a psychiatrist yeah. who went through the Holocaust, and he wrote a book about, like, kind of what it takes to survive, not just the concentration camps, but in general, it's like, if you don't have a why, if you don't have a meaning, uh, then it's very easy to fall and to get lost. And I think in Western cultures, um, where, you know, life is I don't want to say easy, but like you can get by if you come from. If no, you, I get if you. Yeah, you have a reasonable education, and you're living in in a Western country. Like, oh, you, you know, just don't fuck up too bad, and you're mm-hmm. going to be fine. And in Israel, and that's one of the main reasons why I chose to to raise my like. I lived for years. My dad grew up in Bondi Beach in Australia. I don't think there are many mm-hmm. better places to live, but I chose to raise my kids in Israel because. Like there's meaning here. And I think the reason why we have meaning is because there's always an existential threat. Like, you know, it's a nation that's that's been through the Holocaust, but not just the yeah. Holocaust, has been persecuted everywhere. Like Jews who came from Morocco, who came from Egypt, who came from Tunisia, they were persecuted over there. And we always have war just around the corner. And, you know, we don't get to just, you know, fuck it up 
Like you have to be, you know, you get rockets overhead every once yeah. in a while. So I think that that keeps people focused on like the community and, and what's important. So it's not just the military, but I think, you know, like look where things are the most fucked up, like California. I, I know you recently mm-hmm. moved, like these yeah. are the most beautiful places in the, in the world, like in terms of economy, in terms of and that's where it's, it's, it's the most fucked up and places mm. where people struggle. I think it's that, that's just my my no, it's interesting. Yeah. 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 The heart being going through the hardships, uh, which, you know, gives you the purpose because you've seen you've seen what it could be uh, instead of always just seeing the nice and thinking this, you know, that they've never, they can't they've never seen how how shitty it could be, you know. So, well, that's yeah. part of the military, right? I think that's what that's what's really missing when when you leave the military. It's you lose the sense of purpose that you had. Like you know, like f- for me, like I could be on base. Okay, we're, we're going there, so I could be on base taking a shit, right? And like it, it's meaningful because I know I'm part of something. Like I'm doing something. In, I'm like I'm like I could be sleeping. I could, and I know that what I'm doing is yeah. worthwhile meeting. And sometimes <laughs> when you're at home, it's just like. You just like lost, and in the when I'm when I'm you know active reserves and stuff, it's like okay, I know this is where what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, it's I don't know, it's it's something that's hard to explain if you haven't if you haven't yes. been there. I think agreed, agreed. So, so we yep. so, so where we were, we actually I cut you off because you you were talking about the so every marine has you know, has training that, that's this, you know, yeah. every Marine is first and foremost a Marine. Like they go through some real training, even the, those who are going to be on a typewriter, like they're, they know how to pick up a rifle and yeah. fight. And, and they shoot quite, I mean, they shoot a lot more than five rounds. You know, they, they have to, they have to qual, they have to do all that kind of stuff. Yes. They don't do as much as, as the us infantry guys or stuff like that, but they still have, they go, they still go through a good amount of training to give them basic rifleman skills, uh, you know, after they get out of boot camp. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I said, we have, we have our derogatory term for people that are not, you know, infantry and stuff like that. That's why, like, when my son and his friend were discussing about going in, um, I tried not to guide them too much. I was like, you guys, you know, you want to go be a mechanic, you, you go, you go be a mechanic. You want, you want something that, you know, relates to, something in the outside world like when you get out you want to be able to do something you know hey i'm like go for it um and they, they were they were kind of back and forth like no man we think we we wanted we wanted to just go infantry and when, once they made that decision then i then i broke it down i'm like oh, okay good i go i go basically when you get out of the marine corps from now on when you run into someone that's been in the marine corps and you go oh cool you're a marine too you know what'd you do uh and they tell you like hey i was a mechanic i go i guarantee you you're gonna have you're gonna look down on them you're gonna be like mm. <laughs> All right. All right. You're a mechanic. All right. Cool. Because I also told somebody, somebody told me this analogy. Uh, I think when I was in, um, they go the difference between like an infantryman and like a pogue. They go like, uh, think of like, like the, all the, the admin guys, the mechanics, they're the brawl. And then the infantry, they're the titties because, <laughs> because everybody else other than infantry, all they're there for is to support, is to support the warfighters. <laughs> So I told my, I told my, the boys that they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll definitely go infantry then. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So where where did you go after? So advanced infantry. Then yep. what, what year was this? Oh shit, that was I went in in ninety seven. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So ninety seven is when I went in. 
Um, by that time, I don't know, it was probably around like 98. Uh, and then, so yeah, after SOI, you go to your uh, regular fleet unit. Um, so the unit you're going to be with for the remainder of their four-year enlistment. Um, so I got put with um, 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines in, I stayed in California. Uh, so I was stationed on Camp Pendleton, the very north side of Camp Pendleton, which which was nice. A lot of uh, infantry Marines get stationed in uh, what uh, 29 Palms, which is like out in the middle of the desert and there's like nothing around it's 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 miserable out there so i was i was lucky enough to be stationed um in pendleton where stuff's close by so um so yeah so got put with my regular unit um like i told you um and we discussed already about uh being um a little bit rebellious still um i, I actually was was uh, still rebellious had problems with um some of my leadership um, and I went as far as, uh, going AWOL. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I got so pissed off, um, that I just, I took off. So I did that once I went from California and I drove all the way back to Illinois where I was from, um, showed up at my parents' house and they're like, what, <laughs> what the hell are you doing here? I go, oh my, I got leave. I'm on leave. They're like, yeah, bullshit. Um, so my dad actually called uh, the local recruiting office and turned me in. Um, Ooh, that was yeah. an, in, that was an interesting one. It was, that was, that hurt, that, that, that hurt. So I, I remember I was sitting at my, uh, my kitchen table with my older brother and I, and I see my mom, like her, her, pop her head in the front door. And I was like, Oh, she had a weird look in her face. And then all of a sudden, like sheriffs come in, Marines come in right Ooh. behind him. I'm like, Oh shit. So I jump up, I go for the back door, open the back door. And then I have four other Marines standing right at the back door. I was like, shit. And they were big, they were big dudes. So I was like, mm. <laughs> so, it's like yeah, they go, you're going to come peacefully. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come. I'll go peacefully. So yeah, they uh, put me on a flight that night. Um, that was another interesting one where they, they, they handcuffed me and walked me through the airport with like a, like a newspaper over like really uh, some dude walking down with two Marines on each side with a newspaper over your hands. Hmm. What's going on there? So yeah, they, they walked me all the way onto the plane, sat me down, uh, and then took the cuffs off and then waited outside the plane until the plane took off. So, um, so the lady, the lucky lady I was sitting next to, Oh, I just, once they were doing those cuffs, I kind of just looked over and smiled. She's all like, Oh, the look on her face. <laughs> was just classic. Uh, I actually, I, I ended up talking to her on the plane and telling her the situation. So I'm like, don't worry, you know, you're, you're all right. Um, yeah. And then there was Marines waiting for me as soon as the plane landed, uh, you know, took me off, searched me in the, in the, in the, the bathroom to make sure I didn't pick up any knives. I'm like, I'm not going to shank you guys. I'm like, come on. <laughs> so on yeah. yeah, I was like, really? So, so they sent me back to my unit. I was still really pissed off. Uh, they put me on like, uh, like house arrest, uh, where I had, you know, one of my other Marines watching me, um, you know, was still, still had the rebellious side of me. So I decided to, uh, take off again. So I said, fuck this. I'm out. I, I stole my buddy's car while he was like passed out drunk. Um, <laughs> drove, drove off base. Uh, I was nice. I left it at like the local gat, the local grocery store. So, uh, then called him the next day and told him his keys are under the, under the seat. So I, we're still friends to this day. Yeah. So yes, I actually just saw him a couple months ago. Um, yes, yeah, so I left again. Uh, this time I went to my aunt and uncle's house, which uh, he didn't turn me in. He was nice. <laughs> um, so, and then I was, I think I was gone for, I wasn't gone for, for a month. I was gone for uh, pretty close to a month. Um, oh, wow. yeah. Uh, the, the Marines found me 
uh, they actually went to my aunt and uncle's house. Uh, like I was out working with my dad, with my, with my uncle. And, um, I guess that my aunt's like, Hey, there's Marines outside the house, like on property, like looking in windows. I'm like, no shit. Yeah. So yeah. Do you guys so get I any, jumped on a bus. Do you guys get any military jail time for going AWOL? Oh, I'm not there. Um, I'm getting there. <laughs> so, 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 um, so yeah, so I, I so then I I couldn't I couldn't go back to my aunt and uncle's house because the Marines were looking for me there. So I they gave me some money. I jumped on a Greyhound bus and went back to Chicago. My my older brother got, rented me like a hotel in his name so that because they'll they'll find you if you like you use your credit card. Uh, anything that involves they'll they'll track you and find you. Um, so yeah, I stayed there for a while until I ran out of money, and then I was like, all right, what, what am I doing? What am I doing here? Uh, so I went and turned I turned myself back in after that. But the Marine Corps was pissed at that point. They're like, dude, really? You're going to go twice? Uh, so they, I got court-martialed uh, after that. So I got court-martialed, um, thrown in the brig for a month. Um, I, that and, and, and that was a, a crucial thing for me, um, which, which I've talked about a lot, where that, that is what I needed mm. uh, for being mm. as rebellious yeah, as I yeah, was. Yeah. I needed that scare. Um, I mean, a, a, a military brig is, I mean, you're in there with guys that are murderers, rapists. I mean, you're right in there with them. I mean, even though me just want, just want a wall, you know, you know, not, not a big deal. There's some, there were some hardcore guys in there uh, okay. that you're, you're in there with. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, I mean, being an 18 year old, yeah, that scared the shit out of me. Um, you know, and I, I made sure, um, cause my parents, you know, when I was growing up, they always tell me you'll be in jail by the time you're 18. So I made sure I was nice enough to, uh, on one of my phone calls, when I call him, I'm like, Hey, just let you know, I'm 19. Ha ha. And hung up the phone. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, that's a, that's a big thing that the, the military does for you. It did for me as well. It's like you, yeah. you understand that like on the one hand, you're not free and that's something to, to that, like, to really experience. It's like, you can't do whatever you want. It's like if you wake up in the morning, don't feel like going to work or like yeah. don't feel like going on on uh you know on training and stuff. Yeah. It's like you either do what you're told or you accept that you're disobeying orders and you get sent to jail. It's like that simple. Yeah. You either like you don't have a anything like that in civilian life. It's like if you don't do what's expected from you, they'll tell you once, they'll tell you twice. Like, I mean, they won't tell you once. You don't do what you expect to do first. They'll revoke your leave. Okay. And then if you think that you're still smart, they'll revoke some more leave. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then eventually, like, yeah, you can't go wherever you want, do whatever you want to do. It's like, yeah. But I, I was also, I was a little shit, but I, I, I understood pretty, it took me a while, but I understood early on because I was, because my unit was um, relatively elite. And okay. um, and um, a lot of like officers come out from. I for us it's different. You don't go into officers training. You for, like officers are chosen through the ranks. Like you make your way up through the ranks to become an officer. Because um, in you're enlisted army. first. Everybody's yeah, enlisted, enlisted and, then, and then you eventually go officer. And okay. then you become a sergeant, and then you become an officer, yep. or you stay in the non-com. Um, uh, yeah. Like so, I understood that. So we we especially in in the training we had a very elite unit, and the most that the company commander 
can give can revoke your leave is for 28 days. So generally we 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 do like 14 to 21 days in and then like you get two days out. You'd get like Friday, Friday night out, Saturday night, and then Sunday night, you'd be back on base. Sunday morning, you'd still be back yeah. on base. But then they'd revoke your, your leave. But the most the company commander can do to you is revoke your leave, your leave twice. So the most he can do is revoke your leave for 28 days. If they want to revoke your leave for 31 days, you have to go to the brigadier uh, and if they want to throw you in jail, it also goes in front of the brigadier. So I I got along with my company commander, but my lieutenant, uh, we butt heads all the time. He was an idiot. Um, even the company commander. Most lieutenant, most lieutenants are. It's okay. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> even my company commander realized that there's a problem here. There's a leadership problem. Yeah. So hmm. he'd, he so the lieutenant would revoke my leave. He'd, he'd revoke it for 21, 20. And then. I realized, like, so I, it, I, I would always, I, the, the lab, I, I, I barely saw home when I was doing through boot camp, advanced infantry training and stuff. I'd always have the maximum, um, maximum leave revoked that you could at a company level. And then it took me a while that I realized, shit, you've revoked all the leave that you can at the company level. And you don't want to send me to the brigadier because that's going to make you look bad because that mm. means you have discipline, pro- you have problems mm. within your unit. So it's like, I'm untouchable now. Fuck you. You want to throw me to prison? I'll, I'll gladly go to prison. It's yeah. better than being with this asshole lieutenant. Yeah. And that was kind of where it was. Like I'd I'd uh, I'd, I'd have like a mini rebellion um on base and saying, "You know what? I'm I'm on strike at the moment." And <laughs> I was a good soldier and and yeah. you know, it was somewhat tolerated. I somehow yeah. found found the line. I didn't go home very often, but and then <laughs> like we get we get paid nothing. We get paid like back then, like uh, I was on the top level that you can have as an enlisting pay because I had paratroop pay and and risk pay and all of yeah. that. So that comes up back in that that was about like six hundred shekels a month. So that would be equivalent of maybe two hundred bucks a month. That was the salary, <laughs> right? Okay, but <sighs> but. You know, you're living with your parents, and I'd, I'd go home for maybe like a weekend, yeah. once a month. So 200 bucks is a lot of money back then to spend on alcohol on one weekend. Yeah. So it's just fine. Yeah, true, true. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so for me, that was that was a huge turning point for me was being was being uh, you know locked up there. I mean, yeah, it was only a month long, but that month seemed like or forever yeah. inside there. Uh, it was just, it was horrible. And that's uh, consequences. And like, that's like real consequences. Like oh yeah. I got for, thrown in solitaire twice. Up. Yeah. I got uh, thrown in solitaire once for not shaving. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. you and your underwear thrown into a fucking cell and then they just rattle the bars all, all day and all night. So you have to stay awake. So uh, yeah, I got thrown in solitaire for that one. I got thrown in solitaire again for uh threatening a guard. Um, mm. at, yeah. yeah. The guy was being a, asshole so i was like i'll find you because i was getting i was getting out soon so i was like i'll find you when i get out I was like, <laughs> really <laughs> okay so yeah so within a month yeah i still i still got thrown assaulted twice but but again that that was that was a huge turning point for me so at my court martial they gave me an option they said hey you can serve your your time your break time and we'll kick you out or you can serve your break time and you go back to your unit Mm-hmm. Um, so lucky enough, you know, I was smart enough at being 18, 19 year old kid that I'm like, Dude, I don't want to get kicked out. That'll, that'll really ruin my life. Um, and so I chose, you know, I, I'll serve my time. I'll go back to my unit. Um, so yeah, so that was huge. That was a big turning point for me. Um, once I got out of there, went back to my unit, um, 
you know, told my, my, my staff sergeant, told my lieutenant, told my higher ups that, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm in this. I got I, the, the correctional facility did its job in, 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 uh, uh, whatever, making, making me not to want to revolt and, and, and be a, be a jerk. Um, so yeah. So yeah, we went back to my Mac, back to the unit and we deployed pretty soon after that, uh, over to the middle East. So, um, we still had a little bit more training. Um, we did, we did a little bit of work up in CACs and 29 Palms, uh, to prepare us. It's basically the desert out in California where, um, out there we're allowed to use live ordnance. Um, so mortar and use live mortars. Uh, we've got, you know, the jets dropping bombs right next to us, all sorts of stuff to, it helps get prepared, uh, for what oh. you might see over there with yeah. 100%. So in, in, in boot camp and advanced infantry training, you're not using mortars and, uh, and you're like not having a blow up right next to you. Okay. Yeah. So you're using them, but it's a lot different because in that training, it's like, so the mortars are shooting, you know, they're, they're shooting over us, covering us. We've got the bombs dropping on like the, the target area that we're going up yeah. to. Uh, but it's a little bit different in that training since it's, it's all happening together. It's not just us sitting on the line shooting mortars off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, well, but us, yeah. It really fits in because what, what I was thinking when you were talking about uh, the work that you guys do in Ghost Ring, when you're talking about mm-hmm. shooting with inside cars and feeling the percussion. And I, I recently I was on on Tony Blower's podcast and I was yeah. talking and he was asking about like how you prepare people for combat. And I said one of the things that prepared me the best was the live firing. Um, when, when you're, when you have tanks shooting next to you and helicopters going off and it smells like, you know, gunpowder and you feel everything. And then the first time you're in combat, uh, while it's so you, you, it's not completely foreign. You, you, that level of stress and chaos, it's like, that's where I've trained. So it's still, you know, the real thing is, you know, when, when bullets are flying, it's still different, but, but. It's but there's it really prepares you well. So yeah, yeah. It's, I, I think it's it's not just okay understanding. Okay, I understand the ballistics and the trajectory of shooting within a car, but it's like, have you ever felt it? Like, have yeah. you ever had to draw your pistol from concealment when your heart is racing and when you're in fear? And that I mean, that's yeah. how in the in the military. That's how we prepare people for combat. We try to make them feel as as much as possible what it feels like to be in the real thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, we did that, um, and that's that's basically like the end of a normal workup for uh, an infantry line unit uh, before getting deployed overseas. So, so yeah. So as soon as, as soon as we were done with that, we deployed. Um, we were all over the Middle East. Most of the time um, that I was over there was uh, in Iraq. Um, so we never, I never went to Afghanistan. That was after, you know, I got out and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, but again, when I was over there again, I, I didn't do like my younger guys, the guys that I trained. I mean, those are the guys that were in like Ramadi uh, and all of that kind of, I missed out on that. Um, we did, yeah, we did multiple operations while we were over there. Uh, but I, like I said, it was nothing like what my junior guys had to go through. Uh, and that's, that's, that's actually something I struggled with for, uh, for a while was knowing, you know, you know, yeah, I got out. I could have gone back in, you know, I could have, um, you know, and that was, a, that was a, I wouldn't say a regret. That was just something I've always questioned, you know, about should I, should I have stayed in, you know, and gone over there with my younger guys. Um, and I get both, I get, I get 
like some of the guys that 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 came back, they're like, no, dude, they're like be happy that you weren't over there. They go, that was it was it was fucking miserable. Um, and then you know, some of the guys, are, yeah, I wish you were there with us, you know, that sort of thing. So it was it was tough. It was it was it was it was tough I afterwards. Find, I find that this is something that that's quite like. So I was having a I was having a chat with my brother. I've got a brother. He's ten years younger. Um, okay. He was in the Egos unit, which is also that's uh, a unit that's considerably more elite, if you'd like, than the unit yeah. that I was in. They're like the. I, it's very hard to do equivalencies, but maybe the closest I can say is maybe the Green Berets or something like that. Okay. Like they yep. they they specialize in concealment in ambushing, like they. And so, and he he fought in in a few things that that, that some aren't f- for publication, but he, he he fought in like the, um, um, in uh, how's it called in English operation, um, because we we have different names for operations, the the Hebrew names and the English names. But it was the last okay. major major round in Gaza, like where they went in a lot of yeah. casualties, and his unit like and. So I asked him, like, you know, how how was it, you know, your service? And he's like, look, you know, we 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 took fire and we had we had ambushes and you know we had firefights and stuff. But it's nothing like you guys have been, you know, were during the second intifada like ten years before, yeah. and during the second Lebanese war. And it's funny because when he, I'm like, like he was in the shit, and he's like, it's nothing compared to what I was I I was through. And it's funny because when I look at it, I'm like. Yeah, you know, I've been firefights, I've been through the shit, but I feel like I've been through nothing. Like the guys who were two years before me, like the guys who were finishing yeah. when we were just <clears throat> joining the units, the guys who were finishing off, they were inside Lebanon before the withdrawal when Israel was sitting inside, and they were like the fighting in there was intense. And it's funny because so my grandfather, he you know fought in the Palmach, which was the precursors to the IDF and like the underground and, and the, the the special forces of, of like in the War of Independence and all that. And it's funny because when I used to like really when I got older, I understood his stories were kind of like it said he was never really like he fought but it was kind of like his stories and it's kind of like this thing i've been speaking to a lot of soldiers who were there and it's always like yeah but it's always a sense of like i wasn't really the hero like not here not in terms of hero but i I I didn't i didn't really do the shit I joined. I always thought I'd do the shit, but I didn't really do the shits. The guys, you know, the, who were there a year after us, or the guys who were there a year before us, they did the shit. And when you talk to them, you get the same thing. I, they I get find the same that thing. interesting. Yeah. So. <laughs> that is that is interesting. It's all we're always thinking that what we did wasn't as good. We yeah. we could we could have been we could have been worse for us, you know. So it's, yeah. that's it. That is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um. So yeah, so so yeah, got out of uh, Marine Corps, um, and after that, I actually got into uh, the fitness side of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. got into got into fitness for a while, um, and then uh, also got into uh, the executive protection stuff. Um, so you know, protecting all the 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 rich and the famous. I think I started that in uh, two thousand seven. Two thousand seven, we started diving into that one. Okay. Um, the first guy ever, I, I can't, I can't name names. Uh, just, just let you know. Okay. Uh, I've, I've signed many NDAs over the years and uh, me, we talked personally. 
Yeah, I, I got I that. Share that. So you know what I mean? Back. Yeah, we talked personally. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Nick, Nick's, uh, Nick's uh, <laughs> baby sat uh, one or two very high profile people. Yes. And yes. we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, so no, I've worked with, um, so the first guy I ever worked with was, was a, just a massive billionaire. Um, he, nobody famous, uh, but he invented something very famous that we, we use in our cell phones. Um, so lots of money, lots of money. And he had an attempted, uh, kidnapping of his kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so me and, uh, my Navy SEAL buddy, uh, he called me up and he's like, Hey, you interested in, in, you know, doing some work? Um, so I was like, yeah, sure. So we, um, I was the only Marine on the team. Uh, everybody else was, you know, Navy SEALs. Uh, so I felt, I was like, yeah, I'm on a Navy SEAL team, you know? <laughs> so, um, uh, so I worked with them for, for almost a year, I believe. And that detail was, you could either be assigned to the kids, uh, you could be assigned to the main principal. Um, you could be assigned to his girlfriend. You don't want that. That was a horrible one. Um, or we had some guys that are even on residential security, especially like at nighttime. Um, but it was a big team. Uh, I think it was like a 15 man team. That's probably the biggest team I've ever been on for, especially for like an executive protection stuff. That's a, that's a massive team. Um, we had armored vehicles. We had, yeah, we had all, we had all sorts wow. of good stuff. Yeah. This is, yeah. We had, this is, this is U S based. Yeah. Yeah. This is U S. Yep. Uh, this was like, yeah. I mean, in California, uh, in a really nice area. So yeah. So I think it was a little bit overkill. Um, but the guy had the money to pay for it and he wanted it. So, yeah. I mean, we, we even had the SWAT team raid the compound uh, because some – one of the workers didn't like us. So he, like, went to the police and told him, hey, there's a bunch of just armed military guys, you know, on this property. <laughs> so, yeah, one night SWAT, call, SWAT chopper came over us. SWAT team came rolling up to the front gate. Once we talked to them, they were fine. But but it was they, – they were they were ready. They were ready to throw down. So, yeah. Um but yeah, so since 2007 on to, I just retired from doing executive protection last year. Um, so mm-hmm. I've, I've, man, I've worked with, you know, many, many A-list uh, celebrities, lots of different, you know, high-level what, millionaires. So what's the challenges when you're working with A-list celebrities, you know, the stuff like what, uh, you know, what are the threats? What are, what are the things that you got to deal with? Um, I mean, mainly, uh, I mean, unless you've got stalkers, which almost every celebrity we've worked with has a a good amount of stalkers some of them are, are are you don't need to worry too much about some of them you've got to monitor um so we'll monitor social media uh, of these stalkers we'll, we'll kind of try to track them to see that, you know if, if they're usually what we'll see is they start getting manic you know on, on their social media mm, like, so like, the like start you know as well yeah Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, when they start, Oh, this person, you know, did this to me all this stuff. Then we start seeing them starting to get aggravated. We'll heighten our security, uh, with that. Um, we've had people, um, like on property, we've had people jump fences, you know, try to get through the security. Uh, one of the houses that, I, that one of the celebrities I worked with before I worked for them after I got hired on after this situation happened, but they had somebody actually get in all the way into their house and was sitting on their bed and when they walked into their bedroom and this, and they, we, there was a two man security team with them at that point. Um, but that's huge. That was that the, we completely changed their security setup after that situation happened that, you know, they brought us on that sort of thing. So there was always someone on cameras, you know, always, you know, somebody being able to patrol property. Cause what we see a lot of in the industry now is the, 
person that hires you want to spend, they want to spend the least amount of money as possible and get the most amount out of you mm-hmm. that, and, and these people have money. They have got tons of money, but they don't want to spend it. They want, they'll spend it as soon as something happens. That's, that's what we always see. So once that happened where somebody got into their house, okay, now, now we got a five man team, you know, on and they're, they're willing to pay now. And then what we'll see though, is like, give like a year or two. Yeah. When things like slow down, they're like, oh, we only need like one guy now. We're fine. And then something bust will happen. Yeah. It's and then, and then human nature, people. right? Even, yeah. you know, in Israel, every time, you know, when there's, um, you know, knife into father, whatever, when there's stabbings, yeah. all of a sudden everybody wants Krav Maga training. But, you know, <laughs> give it a couple of months and, you know, people go on about their, yeah. their business. And, yeah. uh, and stuff. but uh, we, we were talking also that, you know, a big part of the role, especially when you, you're working like, so from a Krav Maga, from a hand-to-hand combat aspect, it's it's very different, um, you know, the, the type of training and, and more the application that you put into yep. the process. Because, you know, in, in the self-defense world, we're thinking of, okay, I have a terrorist coming at me. Well, generally in Israel, I've got a terrorist coming at me with a knife. Okay, how can I protect myself from uh, from that? Or, you know, maybe somebody's coming to in Australia, it was a lot of like alcohol fueled violence, like something's mm. coming to bash me, something like that. Um, in America, you know, different different problems as well. But when you're when you're protecting, um, not everything is a like a leaf. How would I put it? Let, let, let me put it a different way. When I'm protecting myself, generally, if it's a lethal fr- threat, I can deal with it, and if it's not, I can in most cases just walk away. And I cannot get get involved. So I can either use the maximum level of violence that I'm willing to put out there or no violence. That's kind of the hope. When I'm working, protecting somebody else, especially in front of the cameras, it's it's not it's usually not, you know, 99 times out of 100, it's not somebody coming to kill them, which is always what we're worried about. But your day to day, you're not dealing with that, are you? Yeah. So for most of us, it's like, uh, so some of the people we work for, if anybody was able to touch the person, um, you'd get fired. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was that, you know, making sure that you're positioning yourself properly, you know, in crowds, making sure that if you see someone starting to walk up toward the person that you're, you're, you're getting in between the person, you're you're that barrier in between. So this person that they don't want to touch them, you know, doesn't touch them. Um, a lot of the celebrities I worked with, you know, they spend time in Hollywood and that sort of thing. It's a lot of homeless problem down there um so almost people tend to get uh, a little uh touchier than most where they're 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 asking for things they're grabbing for things or something like that so we've you've got to really be uh aware of your situation and aware of your surroundings uh when you're walking with these people through you got to go with them i mean you can you can advise them to not go in certain areas but it doesn't matter they they can take your advice or most of them don't yeah. So what do you do when somebody is very persistent in making contact with uh, with the person you're protecting? So usually um, the person that we're protecting, usually they see it, they see it coming, they see what we're doing. Um, but we have to try to move them quickly to where we're going to hopefully try to get past these people. Um, if they're trying to go hands-on, then we have to go hands-on. So if they're trying to grab, and then we're going to grab hands, grab wrists, something like that. Um I've, I've cannot confirm or deny if I've done some light throat strikes before, um, some light striking to, to certain, uh, you know, nerve clusters, 
to try to get them to think more about the pain um, than think about trying to touch or grab client wise. Mm -hmm. Um, Certain techniques I've done, you know, especially if there's cameras involved, because a lot of times there's paparazzi around. Uh, you can't do that kind of stuff if paparazzi is around or taking pictures. You have to do, you have to go lower. So more of a toe stomp, uh, a shin rake, something like that. Cause the cameras are usually up here uh, above the waist, taking pictures of you. So mm-hmm. you've got to be a little sneakier about it um, with causing a little bit of pain to these people. So they, they think twice about, you know, trying to touch who you're with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's how we deal with a lot of it. Um, and then again, hopefully the, the client listens to you and they just don't go to these bad situations. So I, I was at one, I'll tell you another story. I was with some client that I had a whole, I had this whole thing planned out. We were at the, the man's Chinese theater for a premiere and I had this whole back route. You know what, what the guy said? He said, I, I, uh, um, shit, I can't remember what he said, but, um, I had, it, I had it, I Kevin Costner it. That's what he said. So like the, like the, from the bodyguard movie. So I had it, I had a whole back route plan up this, through the back kitchen, up this <laughs> elevator to the after party, all this cool shit. I was like, oh, we're, we're, we're good. And then I, this is the first time I worked with this client and we head to the elevator and he's like, oh, I don't do elevators. <laughs> shit. My whole plan just, just crumbled. And that night he ended up getting a $50,000 bracelet stolen from him mm. uh, because I couldn't take that background. And he... We had to go out where all the where all the civilians were standing, and he wanted to take pictures and shake hands. I can only watch so many hands. I, I can't see everything. Uh, and in Hollywood, you have the best pickpockets in the world there. Um, so one of them, one of them got it. Yeah. So mm. yeah. So luckily, I mean, it was just a bracelet, and I got him up to the after party safely. But uh, I, had to, I had to write a report on that one. So yeah, that was that was an expensive loss. I can I can imagine it's interesting because <laughs> there's there's some parallels uh, not just one parallel where nowadays especially in Israel and the places where we're, we're, so the camera the camera thing because a lot of the places where the soldiers that I train Krav Maga um, and some of the places where I deploy myself there's just cameras everywhere so if there's going to be a big riot if there's going to be a big um you know violent um um mob putting generally a lot of times the way these things go down is maybe in in a border area there'll be you know a friday friday afternoon after the mosque you know they might hear a sermon get all fired up and then want to go exact some violence so they'll go and they'll start throwing rocks at civilian cars like israeli civilian cars going by and then the the army comes in and tries to because you know people do get killed um you know when you're driving by a highway and somebody puts a brick through your window so yeah. and this, this, this happens every year people get killed in the in the west bank by that so we go in and then we have to deal with these uh um with these riots and cameras are everywhere because the camera crews know that this happens often they get tipped off okay this is going to happen so they're there before the 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 violent mob arrives they're already there getting the cameras up they know it's friday it's afternoon they're already getting every like you you arrive 
and like the set's already there, the director, everything's cut. <laughs> and sometimes there'll be more camera crew than the actual, uh, um, than the, you know, sometimes, you know, we're talking about there'll be 30, 40, 50, 60, like it's, it's crazy. And then hmm. you have to train a soldier to, you know, it's hard because there's civilians over there. Um, and the only difference between a civilian and somebody who wants to kill you is like they don't wear uniforms or anything yeah. like that. So you don't know who's got a gun, who doesn't have a gun. And you have to protect yourself. You have to use a moderate level of assertiveness, but you can't be violent. Um, and and then all of a sudden when something happens or you have to break it up, stuff, everything's under scrutiny. So yeah. um and knowing, that's, knowing but, how to escalate that force, yeah, that's that's tough. That's that's hard to teach. Yeah. Well, we do that. So part of part of the training yeah. I deliver, and part of the training that that I'm part of within the IDF is like so every most of our like drills that we do, um, there'll also be a camera crew. They're like uh, like in terms, so of you'll have the camera crew there. Yeah. yeah. So so when we do like uh, what do you call it? Uh, fire on fire. What, what do you call it? Uh, in uh, force on force. Force on force, exactly. So when we do like force, force on force drills, there'll be people. I, I love playing the cameraman because my English is better than any everybody else. So I'll <laughs> I'll I'll play a CNN or a BBC yeah. camera, and I'll get in, I'll get in in the company commander's face and uh, tell him that I'm going to make him a star, and he's going to be on the evening news. And you know, and I'm I'm really good at playing that part. Um, <laughs> they fucking hate me for it, but nice. but but that's part of the training. So as a commander, you're that's not great. just trying yeah. to route your forces; <laughs> you also have to worry with deal with these obstructions, and also the soldiers. Like it's really hard because you're just trying to do your thing, and then you know you have somebody in front of you calling you, you know, um, a mass murderer and a piece of shit. And how could you not be like embarrassed? Like how can you be not a shit? How how are you not ashamed to be doing what 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 you're doing? And then it's really interesting also to see how the soldiers deal with it. Because some will try to talk to me, and it's like, like, what the hell are you doing? You're trying to argue the political case of what's happening in the middle of a war zone to a journalist yeah. who doesn't care while he's in the line of fire. It's like just shut the fuck up and you know move yeah. the journalist aside. But so that's a very big part of um, hmm. part of the training that we because that's just. Part of the the la of the what do you say the warscape the land the landscape of yeah, the war I guess yeah 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 you need yeah. to be able to deal you need to be able to fight while there's a reporter in your face you know making your life miserable and making it impossible for you to do your job and yeah. um so yeah there's a bit of a parallel so and and when then when we go down to the Krav Maga scope of it it's like okay. You know, how much force can you use? How, you know, how do you use that correctly? What films well, by the way, what doesn't film well? And mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah. how crazy is it that, you know, when, you, when you're tra training warfighters and infantry soldiers, you need to also get them thinking of what films well and what doesn't. Yeah, that's one thing we didn't have to worry about when, when we were military-wise. Yeah, <laughs> we, 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 they would, we'd make sure those guys were, I remember I got, I got interviewed once, uh, when I was over in Iraq by CNN, um, you know, but those were all like staged, you know, they, they brought them in type thing. They're not, they're not there, uh, you know, seeing all the, all the shit going down stuff like that. And then we were told exactly what we could say, what we could, what we couldn't say all that shit. So, yeah. So we didn't, we didn't have to deal with that then. Yeah. But in the civilian world, yeah, we got, that paparazzi there they are 
they are everywhere, everywhere, uh, following around these these celebs. So, mm. yeah. Fair enough. So let's talk a little bit about uh, about ghostwriting. So you said you, you worked a little bit of uh, how can I put it? Um, you worked in the fitness industry. You're you're relatively successful over there. Successful enough to be able to 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 launch ghostwriting tactical and to to be able to 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 buy the beautiful beautiful property that I had an opportunity to to come visit you and to teach over there. And thank you, sir. And, um, so. You guys have well when I was there. So we, how could I explain? It's I loved. It's it's kind of like glamping. It's like it's these beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. You've taken this property. Everything is off the grid, right? So yes. you guys have your your own own power source. You've got a well. Yeah. So we, yeah. So the 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 buildings are all purely run on solar. We're not connected to the power grid at all. Uh, water all comes from the well, uh, gas wise. That's pretty much the only thing that we're reliant on, uh, for like delivery wise is we have to have a propane truck come out to fill up our propane tanks. Uh, but everything else is pretty much self, uh, reliant out there. And we, yeah. So if the power grid ever went down or anything like that, we're, we're, we're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. And every, everything is like these, it is beautiful. You've got these shipping containers that's, you know, the bunkhouses for the students and you've got like your kitchen and the, the living room over there, like the mess area. It's, yeah, it's, it's a really, yeah, it's a really beautiful place. And then you've got the ranges. So the thing that does everybody's head, I love this because I especially tell it to the Israelis or to the Australians or the Europeans that I work with. It's like, you guys don't get, you know, in, New Mexico, it's and in in parts of the states, like on your property, you do what you want. It's your property. Like you know, to to a certain extent, like you can get bulldozers set up oh, yeah. like a, a <clears throat> shooting range, and you could shoot and have your friends come over and shoot with the guns. Nobody can tell you otherwise because it's your yep. freaking property, and that just yep. does. People. So I, I grew up. So as a kid, I grew up in San Diego for quite a few years. Um, so like, I, I get the American mentality of like, like I should be able to do whatever I want, as long as I'm not damaging anybody else. And if I'm doing what I want on my property where I live, it's nobody's business and nobody. And, and, um, yeah, but it just, it's even coming from it. it it's crazy. That you can just, you know, set up a shooting range on your property and, and just shoot. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah, you can't do it everywhere out here. I mean, yeah, you no, gotta find you yeah, know, you places that like have a good the, amount of property. In the middle of in the middle yeah. of San Diego. Dallas. Yeah. No. Yeah, in the middle. No. Also, <laughs> yeah. not in the. You're not. You're not located exactly in the middle of the city, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, I'm in the you know, middle of nowhere. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm basically I'm ten miles back on dirt roads. Once you get off like the major interstate, so I'm a ways back. My closest neighbor. I think is like five miles away. Um, so that allows us. And I made, that's why, that's why I bought 450 acres was not because I, you know, I, I I'm, I'm going to do something with all that land. I probably won't. Um, I bought all that land to just to make sure no one else could purchase next to me. That may give me some grief. You know, I don't want anybody giving me grief. Yeah. Yeah. I can shoot it anytime I want to, but yeah, I mean, neighbors could complain and, and to the County and all that kind of stuff. It just caused me a headache, which I just didn't want to do. Um, so bought enough property to make sure that no one's, no one's going to mess with us out here. Um, we can do whatever we want. I mean, we've even talked to the military about bringing in their, their, um, 
they're helos and like shooting targets on our on our hillsides and shit like that. So, so uh, yeah, we can basically do whatever we want out on here. Yeah, no, no one's gonna mess. Yeah, yeah, no one's gonna mess with us. Um, so yeah, um, uh, so yeah, so basically out here, I, I, I wanted with with the company here. Um, like I said, I, you know, I, I got out of the military. Um, I did, I went into the fitness industry. I went into the personal protection industry. I kind of was doing both at the same time. Um, and then I was teaching, I started teaching firearms around the same time where I was working for somebody else, you know, I was teaching out of school in, in California. Uh, I was doing a, a few of my classes mainly was like working with like my fitness clients that, Hey, teach me how to shoot. Sure. You know, I'll take you out to shoot. Um, and um, yeah, I, I finally decided that I, I wanted to, um, actually, actually I bought the property first. So I bought really? the property. Yeah. I bought n- not even thinking about teaching shooting. So, um, uh, we were looking for a uh, retirement property, me and the wife. And, um, cause I went out to be a cop in Wyoming for a short time. Cause I, I'm like, Hey, I want to get out of California. I want to, I want to move somewhere. So my wife's like, yeah, sure. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll live in Wyoming. Um, and then she got there and then she's like, I'm either going to kill you or kill myself because it's too fucking cold. And I'm like, what? You, you told me we were good. I got a job. I bought a house. I'm like, you serious? Um, so yeah. So, so we, 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 that didn't work out. So we, we moved back to California. Um, cause with my wife, she grew up in California, Texas. Those are the two places she's ever been to. So at that point I go, okay, if we're looking for where we're going to end up, you make a list, you make a list. I'll make a list. Like, this is the stuff I want this stuff you want. So we made that list separately and then we came together and then we compared our notes and we're like, okay, with our compared notes, where could we live? So my wife's like, I want to live in a, a landscape that's similar to California or Texas. I'm like, All right. So more of a drier climate, something like that. Um, and the, the big one for her that I couldn't find was that it needed to be 30 to 40 minutes away from a target or a Walmart. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, that was, that was a tough one. I looked at property in Texas, Utah, uh, Arizona here in New Mexico. And this, this property here was the only one I could find that was 40 minutes away from a Walmart. So yeah, that's, that's what got us. That's what made me buy this property here was that once I bought the property, I started off at buying 140 acres. That was, that was my first lot that I bought. Um, and I was, I was cool. I was fine with that. And then I got the bright idea that I've got all this land. Well, how can I make some money with the land? Because I knew I wasn't going to move out of here for like another like 10 years. So I was like, well, I've been teaching firearms forever. And let's, let's, let's try that route. Um, so um, I built a really shitty berm, uh, this tiny little, little range. I threw it up through some marketing out there to see who would be interested I think we got 15 people signed up for like the first class. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, yeah, ran that class. And then ever since then, we've just been com- you know, continually expanding um, out here a- and growing. Um, so once, once I decided I wanted to do firearms out here, I, I, I wanted to create something different. So, something that, that other people in the industry weren't doing. Um, and I kind of just, I, I kind of just fell into it because I knew my property was so far away that people aren't going to want to stay at hotels. They're not going to want to drive out, you know, this far out in the middle of nowhere for for a day class or a two day class. I'm like, I'm going to have to do something longer. And then if I do it longer, I'm going to have to create a place for them to stay. Um, and, and it kind of just morphed into into what it is now, where 
now people come out. Yeah, we teach you firearms, but you also get an experience at the same time where, I mean, I just had uh, somebody email me yesterday, uh, a former student that I guess uh, one of his, his uh, Marine Corps buddies just got diagnosed with stage four cancer. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, um, we don't know how much time he has left. I want to get everybody that was in our platoon, you know, out to your place for like, like two or three days. He's like, he's like, we'll do the cooking. We'll bring our own ammo. Like give us some light teaching all because they understand the camaraderie that, that, that happens when, when the students are here sitting, you know, training for eight hours in the day, you know, doing some shit, you know, eating dinner, you know, drinking whiskey around the campfire. Um, it's it's not just some other shooting class you're going to where you, you end the day, you go to a hotel by yourself and go eat dinner by yourself. And, and it's, it, it changes things when people actually live together uh, for the whole four days. It, it, it really brings people closer together and, and, and gives them a sense of that brotherhood like we were talking about with the military where you get – it's not the same, but it still gives them a sense. It gives them a sense of that, 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 that camaraderie. That's something that I enjoyed very much when I was teaching my my course uh, at uh, at the Ghost Ring. It was it was the people. It was like you know. So I already met I met Scott in Israel. Scott came. He did the instructor course with me in Israel, and then around that time, following that time, you and I got talking yep. uh, together with Scott, and we said, okay, let's do a Krav Maga program in Ghost Ring. Um, and then, you know, I came over, I met yourself, I met Micah, um, uh, one, one of your instructors, Ryan, uh, yeah. who, who I absolutely fell in love with. Awesome, awesome, really, really cool dude. And it was just so beautiful, the the community that you guys have going, even the guys, so um, even the guys who are non-military because a lot of your trainers are, are a lot of your instructors yep. are ex-military from the different branches and stuff. People kind of get brought into that culture and, um, and it's just fun. It's really fun to have kind of that, that group. They, uh, even me, you know, I, I didn't serve in the, in the American army, but it's, it's something to be around warriors. And yeah. I think that's, you know, I agree with you. It's you can come and do the training and the classes, but then you know when you're when you're staying together and you're sitting around the campfire and you're eating together, you get all this all this stuff that's not on the how you say not on the brochure, which is yeah, exactly, is exactly, stuff. yeah. And I've actually gotten into arguments with other fire instructors over this. They're like, "Oh, it shouldn't be about the experience; it should be about the training." Like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yes, we, we yes we still provide quality up-to-date training uh you know not, not some you know bullshit type you know classes but we're also creating the experience as well and i think a lot of instructors argue with me is because they just don't have the means to be able to create the experience um I, like what I, we do yeah, yeah. I, I look at it this way i look at because i come from the world of mar- martial arts and 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 you're not just learning technique you're becoming part of a culture and you're learning values and you're becoming part of a brotherhood. And that's just as much part of what you get out of training in martial arts as you do the, the, the techniques that's like, the techniques are important. Like you, you got to have, it's got to be legit. Otherwise you, you know, right. You, Cause you are training for a purpose to be able to protect yourself against violence. But through doing that, you're also becoming part of other people who have that same aim and are on the same journey. 
and having the technical skills without having the aptitude and and the yeah the the values that go with it and the culture um i think i think it's just it's just half of this it's only one part of the story and um you know four four days is you know it's about i think what what people can give over a long weekend and stuff yeah which, which yeah I, i get it but but yeah how awesome is it that, that people can you know wake up in the morning um together um you know uh, sit around the campfire having whiskey like all this stuff that happens behind the scene like you get to be a part of it and that was always also my teaching style it's not like the karate instructor who sits in front of the who stands in front of the class barking orders like i'm a grunt like i'm not you know i'm a i'm a master surgeon yeah. there's a reason i never went to become an officer like i like to be there i like to hand get my hands bloody like uh, like dirty i i want to be there with the soldiers i'm not like and and that's something cool that you know you, you get to train with the instructor but then afterwards you just get to sit and you know you walk around yep. with your with your famous silkies on uh <laughs> on base and uh yeah, hang out bullshit yeah yeah <laughs> part of so it, yeah yeah so, so i mean and, and that's i mean that's that's uh, i really enjoy that part of it too uh, you know i really enjoy training people uh, teaching them, uh, but, but also getting to know the students on a personal level as well. I mean, I, I still talk to a ton of the students that, I mean, we, the amount of re- re- repeat students that we get out here is, is, is incredible. Um, I mean, some of these, these guys have been to every single class. We have some, some guys have been to every single class like two or three times mm-hmm. just because they, they love what we teach. They love coming out here. They love the environment. They love the other guys. And, even the the other guys that are here, I mean, they've created some of these guys have created like lifelong relationships, you know, with the guys that they've met here. Mm-hmm. That they, I love seeing it where I'm not even involved in it. And I just like seeing that they they met here and they 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 meet up now and they hang out outside of here. I'm like, dude, that's great. That's that that's that's what we want to see. That's what we're what we're trying to achieve here. You well, know, that, yes, we're trying to. Of, that's a sign of having a good culture. It's that that yeah. you know people. That it changes people and becomes a part of it. Like you know, I, through, I remember. So for for quite a few years, I operated a, a Krav Maga school in Sydney, in Australia, and I remember like I'd, I'd see people from the gym, or like I'd go to weddings of people from the gym who got married, and like all the best mates and like all the you know all the groom side is people that they met through Krav Maga. It's like yeah. the best friends. I think also you know. Martial arts tends to, especially in adulthood, it brings in like you know us misfits or the people who are I I don't know what it, what it is maybe nerds like myself like it's you know it brings us in you kind of find your brotherhood over there and then like yeah it's just life I know so many people like yeah I've got so uh, two of my students uh, uh, Scott actually did did the course with them uh, Vittorio. Um, and Akis. So Vittorio, he's an Italian, but he lives in Malaysia. And Akis okay. is from, he's Greek, Greek, but he actually lives in Bulgaria. Doesn't matter. But these guys met on one of my program and like every year for like six years, I think seven years, like they're like best friends and they see each other on the programs. If I'm teaching in Sydney, they come in Sydney and they yeah. do the course over there when I'm every year they come to Israel and they do the program over there that like their wives know that, you know, that's just something that happens once a year. They go and they see the best friend and they beat the shit out of them <laughs> in, in Israel. That's just, <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I, I think the, like we, we, we touched on this earlier with the hardship. Um, I think the, the going through hardship with people brings the bond tighter as well. Um, that's why like, you know, like, again, I still talk to a bunch of my military buddies. Um, I don't, I don't really have many other friends. I mean, honestly, uh, that are, that are not like outside the military or not, you know, somebody I served with. Um, I just, I don't get along with many other people. Uh, but, and I think that the hardship that we went through together is what, you know, brings that, that tighter bond together. And I think with the martial arts as well is because we're training so hard together, you know, beating the shit out of each other. Yes, we're learning something. Yes, it can be fun, but it's, it's, I mean, dude, your course kicked my ass. Um, My shoulder's still not the same. I, I, so yeah. Um, But I think that type of suffering, that, that type of the hardship, you know, pushing hard together, I think that also just, just, just creates that, that bond, you know, even more that you can't create outside of that. And it's a level of trust. So in the military, like I know, like I could hate your guts, but I know that if I get shot, I know that, you know, you're going to put your life at risk regardless of how you feel or or how much shit I was giving you before, um, because that's part of the contract and I'll do the same for you. Like you're one of mine and I'll do everything for you regardless of, you know, if I like you or I don't like you, because that's, that's the creed. Um, and when you have that level of trust, it, it brings people together. And, and in the worlds of mar- in the world of martial arts, like if, if I'm going to spar with you, like I trust you that, or if we're going to do drills, like I trust you, you're going to be throwing punches at my head and I trust that you're not going to hurt me. And I trust that in training, you're going to pull back, um, or, you know, you, you, if, if I take a good hit and I go flying, you're going to, you're going to ease off for a second. So I don't get brain damage and vice versa. Or, you know, if I give you my hand to manipulate and put behind my back, I know that you're not going to rip it off. Um, you're going to do the exercise and then you're going to let go of me. And it's this, you know, this, yeah, it's, it's hardship together with reliance, together with trust, together with being on the same mission and being part of a team, there's a lot of, I think there's no, I think there's, there's a very good reason why a lot of, you know, ex-service members go into, you know, find, uh, uh, Krav Maga, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, mm-hmm. boxing, so appealing. Cause you have that. Yeah. And again, a good school, cause you, you can have there, there are tons of martial arts schools with, with, uh, like a toxic culture where it's but if you find a good one it really it gives you so much more than just learning how to fight or how to beat beat somebody up yeah so yeah completely agree um yeah so and 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 just so so everybody knows like when i said about my shoulder my shoulder was already injured before the class i didn't i didn't get injured in class yeah so i actually actually found out afterwards i have multiple tears in my labrum uh that they have to go in and surgically repair repair so yeah good i'm gonna save that and you know just serve it to my insurance company so that they know nobody ever gets injured in my classes and if if anybody's in the back out lying in the back alley you know some blood coming out of their head we we found them that way i just want to make sure your listeners know yes i was not injured during class i was injured before Never, never happens yes but i still made it through that 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 grueling four days yes (laughs) 
That was fun. So now, now you you've recently made the move on the ranch. So it started. You started. Was that planned? You knew at some point you wanted to start. So you started the business. You you were still living in California at the yeah. time. Yeah. So I mean, I bought the I bought the land, like I said, for a retirement property. I, I, this is where we wanted to eventually retire. Now, for my wife, um, I told her it'd be like ten years or so, and I've wheeled I wheeled her down to like. I think it was like three years or four years that I eventually convinced her that that it's 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 t- time to escape uh, California and, and then come out to to the ranch. So um, yeah, finally convinced her this year to do it. So we it's, moved out it's here. Quite a change going from from California, and you've got kids as well. Yeah. Like it's quite a change yeah. going from going from the school systems in California into you know middle of nowhere in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. So we we homeschool the kids now, um, which they love. Uh, I, I didn't know, you know, if they were going to enjoy it or not, but, um, especially my, my youngest, uh, yeah, we got her into homeschooling. Um, I mean, she's, she's done in two hours, I think. Uh, and she's doing more work within that two hours than she would in a traditional school where she's there for like six hours. Mm. I mean, we have, a, she had, she does electives. Um, I mean, she's in, my youngest is in third grade. We already have her doing like uh, learning Spanish. Um, so uh, there's certain benefits to, I think public school, but I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot more benefits to the homeschooling where I can monitor what my child is learning, um, Mm -hmm. making sure it's in line with what our beliefs are. Um, and the amount of work she gets done is more than, than what public schools do because public schools, I think a lot of it is just stretched out because, they're glorified, you know, daycare well, for look, adults here. Well, look, yeah. I told you, I, I didn't finish high school, right? But mm-hmm. when I finished the army, I was already, I had my headset on. I knew I wanted to go to university and to study. So yeah. I went up and I picked up my, I did, um, we have uh, um, matriculation or in, in Australia, it's called HSCs. Like we have all these exams that we have to do to okay. to be able to not just finish high school but to be able to apply for university and all that. I think you guys have the SAT but that's just one test in one sitting, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we yeah. we have you, you do you do multiple tests on history and literature and Hebrew and um English and math and you you, yeah. sit, you sit a whole bunch of tests over the duration of two two and a half years something like that. So you started year um uh 10 and then most of them you do in year 11 and 12 um so i finished army and i didn't have any except for english i had english because you know i could always speak english well so i just sat the test and aced it because that that was never (laughs) it wasn't much of a challenge and even though in israel we speak hebrew sorry we speak english at a very high level but i had that so i had to do from scratch it took me a month and a half to do two and a half years of tests mm. and okay even then for each test i probably studied no back then i had i had much better memory i've been hit in the head many times um, since. and we're getting old we're getting old buddy we're getting old I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've, that's what I, I get told sometimes but um <laughs> so for every every exam i'd literally like i'd i'd I'd, I'd go up, some teacher would tell me, okay, you got to read between page this and this. This is the book. These are the pages you need to know. And I'd study for maybe uh, a day and a half. But when I say day and a half, I, 
Like I have ADHD, so that also means I have hyper focus. That means I can sit for for I have no problem sitting for 14 hours straight without raising my head from a book if that's what I need to do. And like, especially wow. having having the focus from the army of having like yeah. the endurance, the physical, mm. but also the mental endurance. Um, I'd study like maybe a day and a half, maximum two days for a test. What people would study a year and wow. a half for it at, at high school. And and I just do it. And it's not I had a good memory, but it just shows that it showed me, yeah, I'm smart, but um it shows of like you don't need like what what are you doing for for a whole year for two years studying yeah. for this test when when somebody can study for it when you could read all the pages and read everything so like you said I think yeah. a lot of his um, socialization is important but yeah and education but but you yeah, got, and that's the I, biggest I, I, one we hear what's yeah. yeah what's happening in in California in the private schools as far as you know oh. education and socialization. Oh. It's just, I mean, I don't even want my kids exposed to what is happening there. Um, again, I got no problem with, you know, people's beliefs and other beliefs that are outside of mine. That's fine. You, you can have that. I just don't like my child being being exposed and it being pushed upon them. Uh, like when I showed up at my kid's school in California, I mean, yeah, you got, you know, boys dressed as girls, girls dressed as boys. You've got uh kids that are dressed as animals with these freaking tails and 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 uh ears on like like weird shit and i was like really yeah i i don't know it's like i I don't i don't really want my my kid being being overly exposed to that and i don't know i don't think it's normal i don't i don't know if i want them thinking it's normal either um i mean yeah they're, they're still seeing all this stuff on YouTube and, and all the stuff that they watch. I mean, there's nothing we, we, we can't guard them completely from all this kind of stuff. Um, they, again, they're going to have to eventually make their own decisions anyway. Um, I just didn't like it so much just in their face all, all the time. And the stuff that these teachers were teaching. Um, I even, I got a teacher fired at my son's high school. Mm. Um, they actually recorded him um, and some of the stuff he was saying, which I'm like, okay, you can have your beliefs. I, I understand that. That's fine. But it's not your place as an English teacher to be spreading your political beliefs onto your students. Your job is to teach English. Mm-hmm. You should be teaching English. That is what that's what you're there for. Um, and he was he was spreading all sorts of nonsense out there. And one of the kids recorded him. And so I sent that to the principal and eventually got sent to the superintendent. Uh, and yeah, he was he was not the teacher was let go at the end of the year uh, after that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's not, a, there's a place for it. There used to be this thing where, you know, politics don't belong in the schools. They no. don't belong in the, you know, even in the army, it's funny in the military. Like, um, so it was in, when we were full-time service, like you don't talk about politics. You just, first of all, yeah. you don't, you don't give a shit when you're 18. 19, exactly. 20, that, yeah, exactly. 20, uh, <laughs> you didn't wait. Let me put it this way. You didn't give a shit. Nowadays, it's almost like even for, it's like a soccer team. Or whatever you guys have, uh, yeah. um, baseball, I guess. It's yeah. like, but you guys don't 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 uh, don't fist fight over baseball, do you? It's not like in uh, in uh, no, not yeah, not like in Italy and in England where, yeah. where people uh, you know they'll meet up and they'll 
beat the shit out of, yeah. out of each other just because they're wearing the wrong, football, wrong jersey. I think football's more aggressive, yeah. you know, out here with, with the uh, with the teams and and the yeah. the fans and stuff. So yeah, yeah, but it's become politics. It's like a like um yeah, it's it's become really like a sports team. It's like if my team's winning, I'm happy and fuck the other team. Yeah. And it's it's yeah that that really. Yeah, there's no, I don't know, I don't, there, there's no place of that in the educational system. There's no pay, place of that in the in the military. But yeah. I don't think we're going to so, yeah. solve this on. The- <laughs> no, no. So yeah, so I really like the homeschooling based off that. I can we can we can we see what's being taught. Um, you know, if we don't agree with something, we can choose a different elective. You know, but there's nothing I've seen so far on the program that we chose uh, that has been. You know, that was something we didn't agree with. We've agreed with. You know, they they just teach what they're supposed to teach. That's that's it. That's <laughs> That's what they should be doing. Um, you know, we had a big problem with finding, like finding the right school. That was tough. There's so many different homeschooling programs out there. That was probably one of the biggest problems we had was just trying to find what which one we wanted to use. And we really relied on um, asking friends, um, people that have been doing homeschooling for a lot longer than we did, and we uh, their recommendations. That that's what we 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 whittled down to like five different schools. Um, we, you know, went on their websites, looked at everything, did some, 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 um, you know, practice stuff with them so we can kind of see what they do. And then we, we finally picked one. Um, so she's been doing that for a year and a half now, I believe. Um, so yeah, she's really, really enjoying it. Um, uh, but I also like, I didn't like raising my kids in the city. Um, mm. you know, I, my, like my wife, like, like my kids, you know, when we were growing up, we would, you, you know, we could leave our house, jump on our bicycle, go play with our friends, come back. And, you know, when it's dinner time, these days we couldn't really do that. It's like, if my daughter wanted to go out, ride her bicycle, I had to go ride with her, you know, um, you know, around the block, that sort of thing. We just weren't comfortable with letting her just, just, just ride around by herself. So here it's great. You know, my girls would be like, Hey, it's like, you know, dark outside. It's like eight o'clock at night. Like, Hey, we're going to go, we're going to go walk around, you know, uh, some of the trails outside, bring your flashlight and a walkie talkie, go, go for it. You know, have fun. Yeah. You know, they go out exploring. They, it's like, oh, we found. You know, they came back sending us pictures. Like, we found bear tracks. They didn't find any bear tracks, you know. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, we played along with where you know, oh wow, we're excited for them. Yeah, but um, but that that's that's what I want to see my kids do. That's what childhood like should that. be. It should be this yeah. freedom of going. That, yeah. yeah, same thing. Like, I, there was a very big difference because when I moved back from the states as a kid, back into Israel, it was like even San Diego in the nineties. It's a pretty safe place, right? Living yeah. in university city in San Diego, it's 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 a pretty good place as far as you know United States goes, as far as being free of crime. And uh, but even then, like there's this thing, like you knew that like you don't walk around as a kid at night, like you know, at Halloween, you can go trick-or-treating, but after a certain time, that's yeah. when it gets uh, it gets rowdy. Like it's something that like you're hyper like aware of of this. And in Israel, there's, you know, there's nothing of that sort, which it's kind of funny because, right, in Israel, like, if, you don't, if you've never been, you get this uh, view of Israel, wow, it must be so dangerous because, you know, it's in the news all the time. So, right, first of yeah. all, as far as crime goes, like, it's, I mean, look, you take a country, you fill it with Jews, um, you know, we're not exactly going to be, you know, mugging each other or, you know, it's like, you know, it's not what, you know, if you're going through an yeah. Orthodox neighbor in Brooklyn, you know, you're not exactly <laughs> going to have some rabbi coming to, you know, to, to mug you. It's not, not exactly, no. you know, 
part of our culture. But uh, not look, we we have stuff, you know, this shit happens. And also in the Middle East, like we don't have much people, a lot of pot smokers, um, not a lot of alcohol uh, problems like in in so in uh, like in Australia. So yeah, um, that that's interesting, pretty good. Um, as far as that goes, yeah, there's not that much violence or crime. Um, there's and on the terrorism side of it, it's like, yeah, that happens. But first of all, it's not a day to day thing. Like, fuck, I almost got like, and also like, you know, like wherever you are, you kind of know what to what to watch out for and what to look out out for, and like. I, like if you look at statistics, and I love statistics. Like if you look at yeah. statistics, it's more people get stabbed on a weekend in London than they do mm. in an entire year in Israel. Um, but I can guarantee you that every time somebody gets stabbed in London, it's not we're not reading about in the news in Israel. But every time there's some sort of stabbing, every time somebody dies in the West Bank, every it's headline news all over the world so interesting it's hmm. like it's for some for better for worse you know it's the center of the, i can't explain it but you know it's the center of world of the world for you know for the three monoistic like religions um but somehow everybody's focus is on israel so every anything that happens here you're going to hear about it but we don't yeah. hear when you know when somebody gets shot in chicago um we don't hear about it here in israel you, you probably don't read about it in the newspaper in chicago that often and um yeah. you know maybe we don't, yeah. but yeah i mean we don't we don't really hear much about it you know here but i'm sure in in chicago maybe that you know it's going to be all over the newspaper stuff like that i mean we'll hear a little bit about the, you know all the violence that we you know that's in chicago and that sort of thing but but no i i get you so for you with your kids are you so there are you comfortable letting them go out outside the house you know have fun do that kind of thing and then come back well, my daughter is uh, once a year and a half, and uh, <laughs> the other is the other is about to turn f- five. So not not I, yet. Never but, mind, sir. Yeah. Never mind. But, but no, no. But eventually, but yeah, but eventually. Yes, yeah, yeah. Look, okay, also, I, okay. I don't live. I don't live in the city. But even in the city, yeah, for sure, for sure, okay. for sure. Like, okay, so like when we when we used to live in Tel Aviv, like in the heart of Tel Aviv, like you'd walk around three a.m. You'd see girls downtown. Um, you know, walking their dogs in like short shorts and like it's a no non problems. issue. Nobody's okay. gonna say anything. Like it's not uh it's not a thing. So yeah, my, my hmm. kids would Interesting. you know, yeah. Would, yeah, especially you know where, where we live. It's but but in most parts of Israel, it's it's a non it's a non-issue. Like if you go looking for trouble, you'll find it. And yeah, you know, we, we there's just different 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 uh you know, everywhere there's just different dangerous and i yeah. guess where you live you kind of adapt and you get accustomed to it and it's not that scary and but the thing like i almost got mugged in chicago once so i i got sent to when i was in the towards the end of my service i got sent really weird thing there's this program i got sent to uh, a summer camp in there's hmm. there was a cultural exchange program i got sent to a summer camp to teach krav maga in uh in really? wisconsin in wisconsin yeah wisconsin okay yeah, yeah. all right uh near eagle river if you know where that is um, no but we yeah, used to vacation in wisconsin but i yeah, I, yeah I don't know it's yeah. in the middle of nowhere so that, that was quite okay. a trip to going from like a war zone so all my buddies are <laughs> yeah like in the middle of the shit and i'm like 
okay, I'll see you guys in two and a half months. I'm just going to go to Wisconsin <laughs> to teach Krav Maga to a bunch of 14 year olds. And, um, yeah. but so we had leave one day and, and like at the end of the camp and we went to Chicago. So, um, I mean, Chicago, like for the, for the, for, that was actually the first time I'd been back in the U S since I left when I was 12 years old so mm. in Chicago, I'm 20, 21 years old. And I was 21. I was 21. Cause I could drink. And, um, and um, I'm just walking the street, like, because I'm waiting. So we were staying with, with one of the counselors on the camp, and I'm waiting for her to, to pick me up because she, I don't know, she lived in one of the suburbs. And it's like, okay, I've got like an hour to kill in Chicago. What do I do? Let's go find some blues. You know, Chicago, home of the blues. Like, What, what do I know as a tourist? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how do you find, that was before smartphones and all that. Yeah. So I just <clears throat> ask ask you know a local like i just see people walking down the street i see a police officer and i go um sir do you know where i can find some blues music um so he just <laughs> pointed me to some restaurant and stuff they say no no um we got nothing here but um there's a place the doorman told there's a place um about 15 blocks uh, down uh, down that way uh, called buddy guy's place i go oh buddy guy i know buddy guy yeah i'm going to buddy guy's yeah. place so but <laughs> I have no idea what a block is, right? Because 15 like, block, that's a ways. Yeah. I don't know what a block is for me. You know, a block <laughs> is like in Tel Aviv. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, you know, you got a road this way, a road this way, and a road this way. It's like, I have no yeah. idea what a block is. So I'm like, okay. So I, I start walking and I'm, you know, I'm walking and I'm walking and it's getting darker and darker and the, and it's getting crummer. Like I was in downtown Chicago. I was in, in yeah. no, I was, in, I started off near the museum of art or something like that in Chicago, but oh, now I'm the, going you're down. Near, you're near the, yeah, the lake. And then you're going in deeper. Yeah. And now I'm going that. down. I think it's the loop or something like that. Like I'm going way downtown and it's getting darker and darker and you know, the, the streets are getting crummier and, there's less and less people on the street. I'm just, you know, happily walking there with my backpack is what do I know about crime yeah. or anything like that. And, <laughs> and I'm just, you know, making my way. And I, I know this is like, you know, a lot more, you know, homeless people on the street and, and like, and, and it's just quiet. And I go and, and, I'm definitely the only white person like that I've seen, like in the last, like 20 minutes of walking and it's very, I, it's very segregated there. It's always been that way. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so, so I get to this place and you know, what do I do the moment I'm in front of body guy's place? Um, I, I have to take a picture to show my friend that I was at body guy's place. So I have this disposable camera, right? And I go, <laughs> I'm winding it up and I take a picture with a flash. And as soon as I take the picture with the flash, I look left and there's this guy lunging at me, but I've already got my, my, I've already got my hand on the door. So I walk in and he comes straight in after me. And then there's this bouncer who huge, you know, tattoos, face yeah. like tattoos and everything um, <laughs> over there. And he just, he straight away approaches both of us. And he's like, what do you guys want? And I'm like, the, the guy who came in after me understood that like he, he had nothing to do. So he just kind of left. He just turned around and left. Okay. He was waiting for me outside. And um, I'm like, I'm just here to listen to some music. You got anything and there was a band going it was a very crummy kind of you could see like like in the movies right you've got these yeah. old gangsters with young girls on their laps and stuff but <laughs> it's cool the music sounded good and and he goes um i go there's music he's like yeah he's like um he's like but there's a there's a ten dollar cover charge or something like that and I, i'm a i'm a, I'm a dirt poor soldier 
and I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, I got to start heading back because um, she's going to come pick us up. Like I've got like, about 10 minutes. I'm like, I'm not going to pay 10 bucks to listen to, to sit here for like 10, 15 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But the guy's waiting outside. So I have to kind of start chewing the fat hmm. with a bouncer who's got no patience for me at all. And it's like, oh, so <laughs> who's playing tonight? He's like, well, why don't you pay 10 bucks? Come and find out. I'm like, Are they any good? He's like, it's up to him. I'm like, yeah, look, I don't know and stuff. Like, oh, here's a brochure and stuff. And he's he's just about to smack me as hard as the... But um, eventually the guy uh, got bored outside and walked away. And yeah. of course, I did what any sensible person would do. And instead of wising up, and I just walked all the way back. And uh, <laughs> But I, yeah. I guess I tell that story in terms of like, I was very... At the time, I came straight out of the war zone. I knew how to handle myself in the streets of West Bank, of the West Bank very well. Like you come at me with a gun and stuff. I knew all the danger signs and like I knew, but you take somebody out of that, like a warfighter into a completely different area where any American would like know to stay clear away of that danger. They wouldn't even get their, their self into that place. So it's like, yeah. I, I take that kind of story and understanding of like, you know, Every place is different and you got to condition yourself very quickly to your surroundings. And even on deployment, it's like the first couple of you, you're the most vulnerable on deployment on the first couple of days where you yeah. haven't really learned the territory. And then, and then it's about four, four months in, because then you start to get habituated and then yeah. nothing is afraid. That, that's why they rotate us. <laughs> they rotate yeah. us every, every few months. <clears throat> They rotate us because it's no good to have a unit that's too conditioned to one area of the wars of 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 the territory because then you yeah. get too complacent. So we want you ju just kind of like in the place where you're familiar with the area, but not that familiar where you're you're comfortable. Letting that guard down, yeah, yeah. No, it's um, good. <clears throat> okay, my friend. So um, look, I think uh, I think it's a pretty good place to 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 finish for now. Um, I. Can't recommend enough uh, Ghost Ring if if you're based in the states. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to to go in and to do some training and to 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 get a feeling part of uh, you know part of the community. As you said, a lot of the people who come are repeat, even the instructors. So uh, Micah and Scott, um, some of the instructors that I've come to know and love. They they started their students originally, didn't they? Almost every single one of our, our students now, or almost every single one of our instructors now, uh, started off as a student. Yep. And they just kind of get sucked into that, you know, just something yeah. that you want to be a part of, I guess. Yeah. And we see, I mean, and, and, you know, like for one of me, you know, I keep my eye out for these, for some of the guys when I, when I see talent, uh, like Scott. Like when Scott came through mm -hmm. and basically beat up my other instructor that was working for me, <laughs> I was like, I need to hire this guy. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's the stuff I'm looking for. And that's, that's how Scott got hired on. Yeah. I mean, he took down my, my guy that was teaching and I was like, Hmm, okay. well, I guess I should have the other guy teaching. <laughs> luckily, lucky for me, you know, he was open to it, you know, and, and wanted to be a part of this. Um, it's Cause it's like, I mean, I pay okay, but I'm like, uh, these guys, I believe my instructors are worth way more than I pay them, but they love the culture. They love that, you know, what we do here so much. I mean, Scott's even told me before, he's like, I don't care if you pay me. I'm like, I'm paying you, Scott. I'm paying you. Yeah. Uh, he's like, I just love being out there with the guys and teaching and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, but yeah, but yeah, almost all the instructors started off as, as students and then has, and then once we put them in an instructor role, 
um, you really see people blossom. Uh, I think you've ju- I think you've just set up Scott now, right? Because if if somebody shows down in Ghost Ring uh, <laughs> two three months later, like, this is what I need Scott to do. Down. Yeah. Okay. So this is how I, I get a this job. How I get hired. Ghost Ring. I need to take down Scott. <laughs> well, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, you take down Scott or beat one of my other instructors at you know shooting wise. Sure. <laughs> we'll look into hiring you. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, so people can find you on. Uh, ghostringtactical.com right yep, yep. ghostringtactical.com uh best way yeah, to find us uh you know our schedule is up on there um you know we sell out pretty fast we're already sold out for almost half the first half even after that we're already sold out this year uh so um yeah usually we'll sell out november the year before pretty quickly uh for the once we release the the dates for the for the following year so yep yeah, yeah, we sell it pretty quick um but yeah, that's where to find us. Okay, so there you go. Don't don't sit on it too long because uh, courses sell out. Um, Nick, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yes, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll see you again, either either stateside or you come visit me in Israel. I would love to do both. Yes, yes. I, I love my I love traveling, and uh, that's one place I've never been. So yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's talk off the screen on how we can make that happen. That sounds good. Take care, my friend. All right, buddy. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave me a rating and a review. The full episode notes are available on ronengelman.com, where you'll find links to what we discussed today and information on how you can train with me and my team in Israel. Stay safe, stay healthy, please stay well, and I'll see you around.